And so this morning, our psalm is 96. It says, Oh, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord. Bless his name. Tell of his salvation from day to day. Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous works among all the peoples. For great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods. For all the gods of the peoples are worthless idols, but the Lord made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and beauty are in his sanctuary. Ascribe to the Lord, O families of the peoples. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Bring an offering and come into his courts. Worship the Lord in splendor of holiness. Tremble before him all the earth. Say among the nations, the Lord reigns. Yes, the world is established. It shall never be moved. He will judge the peoples with equity. Let the heavens be glad and let the earth rejoice. Let the sea roar and all that fills it. Let the field exult and everything in it. Then shall all the trees of the forest sing for joy before the Lord. For he comes, for he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the peoples in his faithfulness. Lord, at your name, we can't help but just be, be drawn to you. We, we thank you, Lord, that your name is the name which is above every name. Mm-hmm. Your name is the name which just draws us into your presence, draws us into uh, just humbly bowing before you and pouring out our heart to you and just singing glory to your name. And I pray, God, that even now as we open up your word and continue to rejoice in you, continue to celebrate the greatness that you are, I pray that we will continue to just be drawn to your presence. God, you know our heart. You know the areas where we have sinned against you and where we need to repent and turn back to you. And God, I pray that as we just celebrate you through your word now, we'll just continue this spirit of praise and worship. And we'll do nothing but give total glory to you. In Jesus' name now, we do continue to worship. Amen. I invite you to take your Bible and open with me to Psalm 96. You've, you've heard it read, and we want to continue to, to work our way through the Psalms this morning. This past weekend, I did something I rarely do anymore. Uh, I accepted an invitation to return to my hometown and join with former football players and celebrate the 90th birthday of our football coach. He's still alive and still well, still more active than most people my age. And, and it was just a, a time of rejoicing to be there and celebrate with Coach Underwood. He has been honored uh, in five different halls of fame. Uh, he was a junior, junior college coach before he came to coach our team, and then he went on and uh, finished out his uh, coaching career at some other schools. But for 14 years, he was at our school, and it was the highlight of the, uh, the football program at Baldwin County High School in South Alabama. And it was just a joy to be back. The highlight for me was the opportunity that I was given to briefly share the gospel and to pray with Coach Underwood and with the group that was gathered there. And then 
after lunch during a time of just conversation, it was awesome to have some legitimate gospel conversations with some people that I had not seen for 51 years. And it was just a great, glorious time. Now, why would I drive 1,200 miles to celebrate the 90th birthday of a man like Coach Underwood? Well, I believe that some things are truly worth celebrating. And celebrating is a critical part of life. I hope you've learned that. Celebrating creates momentum in life. Celebrating is physically good for you. They say in medical science that celebrating brings the mind and the body and the spirit together, releasing endorphins that enhance the mood of your life. Now, that's technical terms. In common layman terms, that means that celebrating makes me feel good. And celebrating makes you feel good. And I think that's why one reason God put such a high priority on coming together in community like this in corporate worship. Because celebrating is good for the soul. And celebrating is also a good learning opportunity. We actually elevate what we celebrate. Now you think about that in your life. Even in the challenging times of life, it's healthy to find something to celebrate. I think you would agree with me that, that we're living today in unusually rough times. Many people are struggling economically. Many people are struggling physically. Many people are struggling with relational discord in their family units and maybe even in their neighborhoods, uh, in their communities. None of these challenges is new, though, to our generation. I hope you understand that. There's always been stresses since Genesis chapter 3. But these conditions seem to be more complicated because of the way news travels today, because of the way technology just speeds up information, you know, rushing its way around our world. But the bottom line is, and we've established this in the fourth book of the Psalms, that God is eternal. So His perspective is far broader than any perspective that you and I might have. God is sovereign. And so nothing happens in your life or my life or anybody's life that is not under God's, God's control, that under, under God's purview. He knows everything that's happening. God is a righteous judge. And so evil and sin in the world will be judged ultimately. But also these, these psalms in the book, book four of the psalms teaches us that God is merciful. And he is ever wanting to reach out to us to take the life that we have separated from him in sin and bring us back together with him and be reconciled with him through his mercy. And that's the theme of all 16 of these psalms in the fourth book of the psalms. And today we're going to see that highlighted again. No matter how gloomy life may appear, we have a reason to celebrate. We have a reason to give thanks to God. We have every reason to praise and worship God. 
And so that's why every Sunday we gather together. And on the Lord's day, we worship Him. That's the message of Psalm 96. This psalm calls us to worship God in all of His splendor, in all of His holiness. So today, and in every, on every Lord's day, we worship. So you have your Bible open to Psalm 96. We're going to see at least three ways that worship calls us, woos us, invites us to worship God. First of all, worship calls us to sing to God. And you've done a wonderful job with that this morning. I appreciate our worship team leading us today to sing to God. Verse 1 of Psalm 96 says, Oh, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord. Bless His name. Tell of His salvation from day to day. So a part of our worship every week is to sing. Singing is a language of the soul. It brings out the emotions in our soul as we put to music lyrics that we sing. I'm so thankful that I don't have to be a musician to sing to the Lord. I understand that every single one of us have a different personality. Every single one of us have different ways of expressing our emotions. And that's a good thing. I'm so thankful that not only do I not have to be a good musician to sing, but I don't even have to sing the right lyrics to sing to the Lord. The Lord doesn't listen to our words so much as He listens to our heart. And when our heart is drawn to Him, then lyrics that we sing to Him from our heart become a new song to Him every time we, we sing it. God's mercies are new every day. So I celebrate Him with a new song in worship every day. First of all, because He deserves it. I don't have to know the right lyrics. I don't have to sing the right tune. I just have to make sure that my heart is in tune with His. And when I open my mouth, what comes out is a genuine expression of what's inside, about, what's inside my heart about how I feel about Him. But worship calls us to sing to the Lord. Even if it's a song I've sung a thousand times before, when my heart is renewed and I sing that song with a renewed heart, then God accepts that as a new song to Him. And the psalmist highlights that. So I celebrate Him with a new song every day because it's good to worship the Lord, and it's good for my soul to be lifted up to Him by singing to Him. So in verse 1, he says, Oh, sing to the Lord a new song. Then he says, Sing to the Lord all the earth. Notice, this call to worship the Lord is universal. All over the world, every man, woman, and child, all of creation is called to worship the Lord. So let me ask you today, how are you willing to take a step forward and grow in your capacity to sing to the Lord, to sing a new song to the Lord? Are you willing to take that step forward in singing to the Lord and blessing His name and telling of His salvation from day to day? 
even step over the line a little bit and move a little bit into the realm of awkward. I grew up in a church where we use hymnals. And it was hard to be expressive in worship. I mean, I didn't see many people holding the hymnals up over their head. It might feel a little awkward for you to lift your hands in worship or to bow your knee in worship. But that's okay. We need to stretch ourselves in singing a new song to the Lord. Over the past three years, I've said we've worked through 95 psalms, and we've seen many expressions in these psalms through the psalm writers about how to express our worship to God. Sometimes, you remember, there were expressions of anger in the psalms. And that's a good thing, to be able to express the true emotion of our heart in the way that God leads us to express it, to give worship and praise to Him. I wonder if you've ever thought about buying a hymnal and looking, especially hymnals that were written before, say, uh, the, the 21st century, looking back on the stories and people's lives that are recorded in songs and hymn books that can draw you to worship the Lord in a fresh new way from old stories of people's lives that will resonate with you. Find creative ways, new ways to sing a new song to the Lord. Because worship calls us to sing to the Lord actively. This is not a passive thing. When we know the Lord personally, and I trust that you do, if you came in here today and you've never had a personal relationship with God through Jesus Christ, then I pray that before you leave here today, You will come to know God personally because when you know Him personally, you can't help but bless His name. You can't help but lift up His name and sing praises to Him. When you experience His salvation, you can't help but spread that good news from day to day from your soul, reaching out to people around you, who can be drawn into celebration of God as well. So are you living with the assurance of God's salvation? The psalm calls us to celebrate the salvation of the Lord. He says in singing to the Lord and blessing His name and telling of His salvation from day to day. If you're living with that kind of assurance, then let it out. Let it out by the way your life sings songs to other people. Are you aware that right now God is offering you salvation? If you've never accepted that salvation, right now you can accept His salvation that the psalmist is thinking about here. The psalmist was looking back at what God had done. The psalmist was celebrating in a way that he could But we have a fresh new way to celebrate the salvation of God through the cross and resurrection of Jesus. And when you know Him through your salvation, again, you can't help but sing praises to Him. When you experience relationship with God through that salvation that He's provided for you, especially through the salvation that comes by knowing Jesus, His only Son, You can't help but be elevated into worship of God that draws you, listen to this now, above your circumstances. 
The worship that the psalmist is talking about here is not circumstantial. It's something that occurs all the time in our life. A number of years ago, some of my best friends asked me to resign as pastor of a church that I had helped start. And for 14 years, poured my life into that church. The first few months in that part of my journey were painful years, painful months. I struggled through some of those months. But then by God's grace, he, he immediately led us to a little small church, not very fancy, not, not very, um, you know, big, but very, very, very worshipful. And I was able to experience God much like I was able to hear this morning in this audience and lift up praise to God. And the singing in that little church began to melt my grieving heart and draw me to the heart of God and help me experience in a fresh new way the reality of the loving heart of God. And that's what singing does. That's what... Lifting up God's name through singing, especially that fresh new song and the spirit of a new song every day, just can lift us above our circumstances. I know what that feels like firsthand, personally, and I trust that you know that firsthand as well. When I sing to the Lord, the healing power of God is awesome. Somebody reminded me after our first service this morning that we wouldn't be here today in this church if that hadn't happened a number of years ago in in my life. And so I celebrate that in giving songs of praise to God today. The second way that worship calls us to celebrate God, not only is it through singing, but it's also through praise. There's a difference in singing and praising. Look at verse 3. The psalmist says, declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous works among the peoples. So why do we exalt God? Why do we worship? Well, we worship because of who God is. God is praiseworthy. And that's why we're drawn to him with our lives. That's why we're drawn to him in worship. We praise him because of who he is. And just like the psalmist, I'll repeat this over and over and over again in book four of the Psalms. Because when our focus is on Him, we can't help but praise Him. Focusing on God, praising God, draws me away from the drudgery of life. It draws me away from the circumstances that have a tendency to drag me down. Every Wednesday morning, a few of us gather here in this room and we pray. And when we begin our prayer time, we don't talk a lot. We don't fellowship a lot. We just dive in to giving praise and glory to God. We praise Him because of who He is. The psalmist says, declare his glory among the nations, in verse 3. So his marvelous works also cause us to praise him. 
It's, it's because of who he is, but it's also because of what he has done. The psalmist was looking back and remembering. He was remembering the hand of God that took a man called Abraham. And out of the seed of Abraham began to build a nation that would be the glory of God and represent the glory of God. He was remembering. This psalm praises Creator God, but it also praises the miracle-working God that God is. In verse 3, we're called to give glory to God. Glory is an interesting word. The word glory literally means weight. It literally means heavy. And when we're drawn into the real presence of God, it helps us understand how small we are and how mighty God is. And that's what glory represents. Uh, Few things in the Bible are more prevailing than the fact that God deserves to be praised because of His glory. Jesus said, let your light so shine before men that others may see your good deeds and glorify the Father in heaven. In Desiring God, John Piper says this, and I quote, The glory of God is going public with His infinite worth. Now think about that for a minute. The glory of God is going public with His infinite worth. What does that mean? Well, it means that the goal of life is to live in such a way that when people see you in me, they will say, God is glorious. Not Ronnie is glorious. Not Lyle is glorious. Not Susie is glorious. But God is glorious. Our lives have a capacity to reflect the glory of God in such a way that it points like an arrow. It demonstrates like a, a huge electronic billboard that God is glorious. And that's why the psalmist says in verse 4, For great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods. In other words, he's to be respected. We're to give homage to him. We publicly praise God because he deserves the respect of our lives above everyone and above everything. Now that's sobering. Take, for example, the life of Moses. When you look at the life of Moses, you see how God took a nobody, someone who at birth was supposed to be killed. All the males, Israelite males, were being killed by Pharaoh because the nation of Israel was growing bigger than the nation of Egypt. And so, by God's design, through God's glory, Moses' life was spared. Then at age 80, after wandering to a foreign land, God appeared to Moses in a bush that was burning but was not being consumed. And the glory of God was in that bush. 
A voice came to Moses and said, Take off your shoes because the ground you're walking on is holy ground. The glory of God shined into the life of Moses for him to go and stand before Pharaoh and say, God said, Let my people go. The glory of God was with the children of Israel as they crossed the Red Sea and watched the waters roll back and walked across on dry ground to the other side and then saw the sea close back in on Pharaoh and his armies. The glory of God was shining through the life of Moses as he led the children of Israel across that land between Egypt and the Promised Land. The glory of God shone through a light by night and uh, a light by night and a fire by day to lead the children of Israel through that wilderness to the promised land. But you know, one of the saddest things in history occurred even during the life of Moses. It's amazing that even in the shadow of God's amazing display of power and majesty, People couldn't help but turn away from God and turn to idols. And that's why the psalmist says in verse 5, For all the gods of the peoples are worthless idols, but the Lord made the heavens. So worship calls us to praise God exclusively. God created this earth. God created mankind. He gives you the breath of life. But I hope you're aware that our greatest temptation is to turn away from God and turn to idols. How how can that be? How can that be? Our family, our work, Sports, money, I mean, hundreds and thousands of things you can put in that blank. Anything that you hold in priority and lift up in priority over the name of God, over praising God, is an idol. And today, I fear that we are just as guilty or even more guilty than the children of Israel were in giving their highest praise to idols. God deserves our highest praise. Again in verse 5, all the gods of the people are worthless idols. And that's more true today than it was when the psalmist wrote this psalm. So placing highest honor to anything or anyone other than God, the psalmist says, is futile. It's worthless. All the gods of the peoples are worthless idols. What are you putting in the highest place of value, the highest place of worth, the highest place of praise in your life today? And I ask myself the same question. So the psalmist said in verse 6, Splendor. And majesty are before him. Strength and beauty are in his sanctuary. See, the sanctuary is where God dwells. The sanctuary is where God dwells. 
And there's a capacity in you today for God to dwell in you. You can be the sanctuary of God. And I trust and pray that you have come to that place in your life where you have surrendered your life to God and that He's living inside your life, that He's living in the sanctuary of your life. God's name is praiseworthy. And we praise Him because of who He is. We praise Him because of what He has done. And I pray today that He's abiding in you and you in Him. You know what it's like to be in the presence of a celebrity, don't you? David Neese talked about this last Sunday in, in Psalm 95, about how it feels to be in the presence of God. You know what it's like to be in the presence of celebrity. Gail and I, three weeks ago, had the privilege of going to Nashville, and we were at a, a wedding reception in the Country Music Hall of Fame. If you go through the Country Music Hall of Fame, you'll see statues of heroes of the country music world. You'll see memorabilia, guitars, and all kinds of memorabilia reminding you of country music stars. But you know what the sad thing is about human celebrity? It passes away. As spectacular as that building was that we were in, as spectacular as some of those statues were and uh, some of the memorabilia there, some of the things that people die to, you know, take a picture of or get an autograph of, people get an autograph of, that's all going to fade away. I hope you understand that. But the glory of God will last throughout eternity. Throughout eternity. And we have the opportunity to stake our lives in the sanctuary of God. In human terms, something like being in the Hall of Fame is as good as it gets. But at the end of the day, it's going to fade away. So let me ask you, as the psalmist just points out so clearly here, what are you staking your life in? What are you putting your highest value in? Because worship doesn't draw us to an image or an idol. Worship draws us to God Himself. The very presence of the true and living God who created everything that we know. And one day we'll draw those who believe in Him to Himself forever and ever and ever. Worship draws us, look at the words of the psalmist, to the splendor and majesty and strength and beauty of God himself. So we praise God because of who he is. We praise God for all that he's done. Why? Because his works are praiseworthy. The psalmist says in verse 7, Ascribe to the Lord, O families of the peoples, ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Bring an offering and come into his courts. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. Tremble before him all the earth. He's reminding us that all nations can see the marvelous deeds of God. We don't have a corner on God here in the United States. We don't have a corner on God in our culture. The whole world, all the peoples, all the nations are drawn to God. And the psalmist says, no God is greater, more glorious, or stronger than Almighty God. And that's why we sang this morning, Yahweh, Yahweh, 
We praise your name, O God, because his name is the name that's above every name. And God's majesty, God's beauty draws us to praise him. I hope you're aware, as the psalmist reminds us here, that what we ascribe weight to is a choice. God didn't create us as puppets. He gave us a free will. And the idea of ascribing means that we make the choice, willfully, intentionally make the choice to make the praise of God the highest value in our life. So the psalmist says, give an offering to God in worship. Now, let's think about what it means. Why do we give an offering to anything? Well, an offering is something that we value and willingly give to God to demonstrate our praise to Him. When you give an offering to God in worship, you're demonstrating that your trust is not in your wealth. Your, your trust is not in your money. Your trust is in God. And because He gave you everything that you have and He made you everything that you are, you willingly give back to Him a portion of what He's blessed you with. That's the idea behind an offering. You're being obedient in demonstrating your trust in Him. You're being obedient to His command to put your highest value in life, your relationship with Him. King David said it this way, How can I give to the Lord that which costs me nothing? So there are at least three ways God worship calls us to celebrate God. Uh, worship calls us to sing to God. Worship calls us to praise God. And then thirdly, worship calls us to respond to God. And this is incredibly big. Your worship is never complete without a response. That's part of worship, a big part of worship. And the psalmist points that out. Look at verse 10. Circle that first word in verse 10. He says, say among the nations, the Lord reigns. Uh, three weeks ago in Psalm 94, Richard pointed that out. Psalm 93, Richard pointed that out to us. The Lord reigns. How awesome is that? The world is established, he said, it shall never be moved. He will judge the peoples with equity. Now, this is a statement about us and our response in worship. But it's also a statement about God and how he looks at the response that we give to our worship. So let's dig into it for a moment. Our first response to God is to surrender to him. If we're not humbling ourselves and bowing before God and recognizing the fact that God is God and we're not, recognizing the fact that God is perfect, God is holy, God is righteous, and we're sinners, then we're really not worshiping God. And so our first response is to surrender our will, our mind, our emotions, everything about our life, everything that we have, lay it before Him. 
surrendering to God because the Lord reigns. In Bible times, if you wanted to keep your head and the king walked into your presence, you humbled yourself and you bowed before the royalty. That's the picture that the psalmist has when we come into the presence of God, when we come to God and respond to Him by surrendering to Him. So worship calls us to respond to God. Verse 10 says, Say to the nations, the Lord reigns. And so when you depart from worship, there's an action that needs to take place. We need to take all the beauty and all the glory and all the weight that we have received from God in our worship experience. And we need to say to the nations, that's active. That's doing something. We say to the nations, the Lord reigns. We invest time and resources and energy in sharing the gospel through the life that we live, through the words that we speak. Again, worship is not complete without a response. And our response is to take the glory of God in our homes, in our neighborhoods, in our world. Notice that your role in verse 10, your role is not to judge people. Bible says in verse 10, the last part, He will judge the peoples with equity. There's a lot we could say about God. One thing is, God judges with equity. Why does God have the right to judge? Well, because He created us. And because He created us, He has the right to judge exclusively. We're not perfect. He is. Any judgment that we cast is not going to be with equity. Somebody said there's only three kinds of fair. County fair, state fair, and world's fair. (laughs) But in reality, God is fair. He is a fair judge. You and I are not. Your role and my role is not to judge people. Your role and my role is to love people like God loves them. That's where the forgiving spirit that's with a humble spirit we love people like God loved people we love people to Jesus it's only one perfect judge and that's not you and that's not me that's God himself so I have to ask you this morning have you surrendered your life to him Have you recognized the fact that God is perfect and holy and righteous and just? He's chosen to become one of us. Human flesh. Jesus came to this earth. God in the flesh. Jesus lived a perfect life. Jesus died a torturous death to sacrifice His life so that you can have the Price for the penalty of your sin paid for. Jesus chose to do that. He died on the cross and then on the third day He arose from the grave to give you power over death. And power over the idols that would pull you away from Him. 
pull you away from God in life. If you've not surrendered your life to Jesus, and He's calling you to do that, do it right now. Just pray and say, God, I admit that I'm a sinner. I believe that Jesus died for my sin. I want to give all that I know about myself to all that I know about you. Save me for your sake. The psalmist says in verse 11, when you do that, he says, let the heavens be glad and let the earth rejoice. There's nothing like a spirit of rejoicing to those of us who have come to know Jesus and accepted His salvation. Let the sea roar let all, and all that fills it. Let the field exult and, every, and everything in it. Then shall all the trees of the forest sing for joy before the Lord. See, not only is our response to God surrender, but worship also calls us to confess God by rejoicing and elevating Him above everything. That's what it means to exalt. It means that you elevate Him above everything. What you elevate can bring you ultimate joy. When you elevate the name of God above every name on planet earth. So what are you searching for today to bring you joy? What are you searching for today to give you a spirit of rejoicing that the psalmist is talking about here? He says, let the field exult. See, creation is going to lift up the name of God in praise. It's going to exalt the name of God. Elation and jubilation in life only comes by appropriately coming to know God and appropriately worshiping Him with all of life. So in verse 13, he says, for He comes, for He comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the peoples in His faithfulness. There's one thing about God that the Bible is very clear about. God is faithful. God is just. And worship calls us to respond to that nature of God. And our response is to celebrate God's justice. Now that's a scary thought. Justice for me means that I'm going to get what I deserve. And the Bible says that I've sinned. In fact, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So my sin separates me from God like your sin separates you from God. But the good news of God's mercy is that He has taken the penalty for your sin on Himself. That's what Jesus did when He came to earth and lived and died and sacrificed His life for you and me. So to faithfully judge the world in righteousness means that sin condemns us. My sin must be punished. So why do I worship God? Why should you worship God? We worship Him because... He's taken our punishment for us. When I stand before the just and righteous God, and I put my faith and trust in Jesus, Jesus stands between me and God. And when God looks at me, He sees Jesus, and He sees a righteous one. That's the only way I can be righteous. And that's why it's so important for you and every human on planet Earth 
put our faith and trust in Jesus. When you accept Jesus as your Savior, Jesus stands before God in your place and actually becomes righteousness for you. And that's what I call being worthy of worship. I don't know about you, but I want to worship God with every fiber of my being. Now let me just wrap this up by looking back and just summarizing what I see in this psalm. How should I express worship to God? Verses 1 and 2, by singing to the Lord. Let's do a better job of that. Let's sing to the Lord a new song like the psalmist calls us to do. Verses 3 through 6, I express worship by declaring the glory of the Lord among the nations. In other words, my responsibility doesn't stop in my house. Doesn't stop on the Grand Strand. It goes around the world. And so when we support the gospel through giving to missions and sending missionaries, God may be calling you to go and be a missionary to part of the 1040 window where millions of people have never heard the name of Jesus. That's what verses 3 through 6 are calling us to do. Declare the glory of the Lord among the nations. I express worship in verses 7 and 8 by ascribing glory to the Lord. That's something I choose to do. That's something I voluntarily do. Verse 9, I express worship to God by trembling before the Lord. In other words, I give Him highest respect. Highest respect in my life. Verse 10, I express worship to the Lord by acknowledging His sovereignty with my words. Again, Saying the name of the Lord is an active part of worship. It's a response. And then finally, I express worship by rejoicing in His righteousness. And that, that brings us back to Jesus this morning. You can't know Jesus as your personal Savior and your personal Lord without being drawn to worship God. So I want to challenge you this morning by way of application to celebrate today by making worship, worship of God, a way of life. Recently, there was a National Football League coach inducted into the Hall of Fame. His name's Dick Vermeil. And I don't know everything about Dick Vermeil, but I know that in his presentation into the Hall of Fame, he was asked what it takes to be a champion. And here's what he said, and I quote, If you want things you've never had, you have to do things you've never done. Pretty novel. So, if you want to go deeper in your worship of God... It means that you and I have to move outside of our, our comfort zone. Last week in Psalm 95, David taught us that, you know, we bow before the Lord. We bow before the Lord in worship. I, I don't know what your posture of worship might be, but it may be that at some point it's okay to get a little uncomfortable with the way we express our worship to God. Because if we want things we've never had, we have to do things we've never done. 
So I want to prepare our hearts now for communion. So will you bow with me in prayer? God, I do thank you today for the perfect, holy God that you are. I thank you, God, that you don't make any mistakes. There's not one person here today under the sound of my voice that's here by accident. There's not one person here today that's hearing the gospel outside of your sovereign plan. And so, God, how I pray today that you'll take that free will that you've given us and help us to respond to what you're calling us to be and what you're calling us to do. God, help us to make the priority of our life, first of all, responding to the good news that you've given us in Jesus by trusting you, by humbly laying our life before you, by humbly bowing before you and saying, God, you reign. You are in charge. You are in control. And willfully accepting that as the priority of our life. Whatever it takes to get us there, God, I pray that you'll do that work in us today. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to invite you to take your communion and take the, the, the bread out and open up the cup as we prepare our heart today to, to move into communion with, with Jesus. He's inviting us into His presence right now. It's interesting, I was reading this week in the Gospel of Mark and reflecting on the passion of Jesus from the perspective of the Gospel of Mark. And beginning in chapter 10 of the Gospel of Mark, and the same thing's true in Matthew and Luke and John, but Mark puts it in a very special uh, kind of parameter. In chapter 10, Jesus has turned away from retreating. Uh, in the last part of chapter 9, the early part of chapter 10, the Pharisees were trying to kill Jesus in Jerusalem, so they were, he retreated back to Nazareth. But Jesus said something very particular in Mark chapter 10. He said, the time has come for my purpose to be fulfilled. And then here's the picture. I mean, go read it for yourself. Jesus ran ahead of the disciples Back to Jerusalem. Now, normal human nature would be, people are trying to kill me. I'm running away from people who are trying to kill me. But Jesus literally ran to Jerusalem because his purpose was to sacrifice his life for you and me. So we could be set free from the penalty of our sin. And so today, you hold in your hand a piece of bread that represents the body of Jesus. He left heaven, came to earth to take on flesh. Just like you and me, He became one of us, which He will remain throughout eternity to be in the flesh. When He ascended into heaven, He didn't turn back to spirit. He is in the flesh today. And He's interceding for you and me, those who have come to trust Him as a personal Lord and Savior. So the bread represents the flesh, the body of Jesus. The cup represents His blood that was shed to pay the price for the penalty of your sin. So that you can be reunited with God after you separated yourself from God by your 
sin. So Jesus went to Jerusalem. And that last week of his life, he spent time with his disciples. And on that Thursday of Passover, he sat around the table with his disciples. He took a piece of bread and he said, This bread represents my body, which is for you. He said, This cup represents my blood, which is shed for your sin." And then he said something magnificent. He said, as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, celebrate. Remember me until I come back again. And Father, we do thank you for that great sacrifice that you willingly took, you willingly made for a rebellious people like us. God, as your Holy Spirit speaks into our heart and as we celebrate you, as we remember what you've done for us, God, in some sense, we're called to a posture of humility because you have done for us what we could never do for ourselves. You provided forgiveness for us. Nothing we can earn Nothing we can work for, a free gift that you've given. God, I thank you for the lives that are here in this room today who have committed their life to you. And I pray for those who haven't yet made that commitment. And I pray that before they leave here today, they will commit their life to you. But I thank you for the level of worship that is expressed in the life of every person who does know you in this room for the way we have committed our life to making you the highest priority in our life over our family and over our work and over any recreation that we might enjoy over the money that you've blessed us with. God, thank you that you are Lord over all of that. And even as we've celebrated your death and resurrection through communion this morning, I pray that you will draw us even closer to you And help us to walk closer to you than we've ever walked before. And God, how I pray that as we celebrate that now through singing praises to you, that you'll look into our heart, you'll read our heart, and you'll draw our heart again even closer to you. In Jesus' name now, we continue to worship. Amen.